Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young, and today we have a special episode. And uh, before I kind of go into this, I want to kind of explain that this is not going to be an episode that is purely a hockey episode. I know that a lot of our Japers Rink episodes have kind of focused on the Washington Capitals, but there's bigger things going on right now, I think it's fair to say. And so uh, both Adam and I kind of discussed having um, a podcast more kind of about current events and about kind of the George Floyd protests and really talking about hockey and race and how we can do better. So I, I think it's a really cool and important opportunity to have a couple of people on, one of whom has been on Japers Rank Radio before, the other whom has not, and is actually her first podcast ever. But uh, anyways, um, I'd like to welcome uh, Chris Watkins and Marie Smith to the show. So uh, Marie, this is the first time you've ever been on a podcast before, so kind of take it away. Introduce uh, Japers Rank Radio uh, fans to uh, you and uh, your Washington Capitals fandom. Hi, yeah. Um, my name is Marie Smith. Um, I am a Virginia native and a big Washington Capitals fan. Um, I went to college in D.C. at Howard University, and I kind of fell into the Capitals um, backwards, just turned on the TV one day, and they were on, and it, I just kind of took it from there. Um, but, yeah, I'm happy to be here, and uh, thanks for having me. Awesome. And uh, Chris? You've been on Japers Ring Radio, and not only that, we were talking before we started recording that you were actually part of uh, one of our most listened to episodes ever. So, uh, Chris, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I think I think it was so highly rated because I was uh, such a big proponent of Jacob Rana's star turn. Um, and people who follow me on Twitter know I'm not very nice to most teams and players. Uh, so for me to be nice to, you know, one one player in particular uh, that was a little bit off the radar. I think that's probably what did it. But uh, no, happy to be back um, awesome. and, and, and chat. Yeah, and uh, I I think I wrote the article. I think it was like four months ago or something, which seems like maybe ten years ago, approximately at right. this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically saying, yeah, Jakob Rana is is elite, and let's just start talking about him that way because he is that good. But uh, that's probably going to be the only discussion of Jakob Rana that we have today. <laughs> but um, so let's kind of let's kind of get to things a little bit here. Um, and I think first off, I kind of was hoping, uh, and Marie, feel free to start here. Just kind of a gut level check about where you are in terms of. I know that both of you have expressed a lot of very justified thoughts on the protests and kind of everything that's gone on for the last few days. So just kind of gut level, like, where are you right now and kind of how are you feeling about things? And I know that's super broad, but I, I know you're going to kill it. So. Um, to be honest, I'd say, well, what are we on day eight? It seems like we're about a weekend um, to everything going on. Uh, and I think just at this point, I'm almost, I think, exhausted maybe a good word for it um there's been a lot to grapple with this past week obviously these are issues that have been ongoing far longer than i've been alive um but just everything being at the forefront and then i think you couple that with the way that things are still shut down due to the coronavirus there's really no way to escape there's there's really not much else going on that you could even use as a temporary distraction. Um, so I think the constant input, you know, you want to stay involved in everything. You want to stay on top of the news. But on the other hand, you know, at some point you almost just burn out. 
Um, and I, I think that's where I'm, I'm at a little bit right now. Um, but, you know, these are still, these are important issues. You know, there, there are lives at stake. There are livelihoods at stake. You know, I'm not con- too concerned about um, myself personally. You know, like I still have my job and, and all that stuff. But, you know, you never know. I have a young nephew. I have cousins. It's myself. You always wonder if something happens and I'm confronted by a police officer, is this going to go the wrong way? Um, so, yes, I think that's where I am right now. Just a little tired trying to, you know, keep with the good fight, but also, you know, take care of myself, you know, mentally and, and all that. Yeah. Chris, uh, same same question. Kind of, I know that you, I think it was yesterday, released a really interesting thread of thoughts and uh, I think it was it was kind of important and we'll get to it a little more specifically later, but kind of where, where are you at right now with things? Yeah, yeah. It's, today, I guess, is better for me personally than uh, yesterday. Yesterday, I was, uh, as I was just processing everything, um, you know, I, I was going through a range of emotions, and I think today is more of a sort of back to normal. I mean, I still, you know, engaging in some discussions, you know, with friends and at work and a little bit on Twitter, although I tried to disconnect a bit, but, you know, I was, yesterday was more, was more difficult, uh, you know, as Marie was saying, uh, I think for a lot of us, particularly in the African American community, this is more than just sort of theoretical or abstract. This is personal. Um, you know, for people who follow me on Twitter, you know, one of the things I've shared on there is that you know I have a brother who's currently incarcerated uh, for reasons uh, that you know, taking an objective view of things, probably were influenced by the color of his skin. Um, I, I worked you know for several years in a diversity. Uh, with uh, large tech companies and, uh, you know, many of the ones that are facilitating the conversation today. Um, and then I even talked about on my podcast. Uh, so I actually was, uh, uh, and we can definitely get into it a little bit more uh, because she had a great interview earlier today with uh, uh, 31 Thoughts. Um, uh, so I actually interviewed with uh, Kim Davis for a, a position on, on her team last year um, and feel that I have enough distance now to sort of talk about that in more detail. Uh but, uh, you know, just sort of seeing everything that's going on, um, sort of the reaction to it and the things that are going on. One of the things I, I've expressed to friends personally offline is that, uh, particularly when it comes to hockey and just knowing how these conversations have gone and sort of going through this cycle, as, I, as I've said, this is not the first time that something like this has happened. This is not the first time I've processed this set of emotions. It's sort of seeing the differences in responses and reactions even the past 24 hours with like the blackout um, and, you know, the responses from uh, players and sort of coming to grips with what is happening. Um, it's been just a very surreal experience just to understand like sort of how different this is than any of the previous instances of a situation like this happening. So, uh, yeah, as I said, uh, today's a little bit, you know, more of a return to normalcy uh, than usual, but uh, still, still, like I said, a very surreal moment overall. Yeah. And one of the things that I think both of you guys have discussed uh, quite a bit is, I think, how people are reacting to the protests and maybe what are some appropriate reactions and what are some that are kind of more on the lines of pro forma uh, responses, responses that you Mm -hmm. feel kind of have to 
are exist for the sake of existing and don't maybe move the conversation forward. Marie, I know that you've talked about this a little bit before. Kind of take it mm-hmm. away. I know that you have a lot of thoughts on this topic. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess I want to start by saying it's not that I think everyone's response is bad or some of the more – some of the responses that read that they were – like they were written by – um, an agent or a PR person are bad. Obviously, you know, we've all been hockey fans for a long time. We know how it works around here. Um, the idea of hockey players at all, or teams even, you know, putting out statements about something like this was completely foreign territory two weeks ago. You know, um, it's it's something we we would have wanted to see before, and something we've we've spoken about not seeing before. So you know, I just want to preface preface this with that you know I'm glad that they're taking that step. Um, but and and this may just this may be me being a little cynical, but when you see a lot of these statements that have come out you almost get the sense that people feel that the tide has turned, so now they have an obligation to say something, even if they aren't really saying much. You know, there's been some players who have come out with some really good introspective statements that you can kind of tell that they sat down and thought about or maybe even just wrote themselves um, you know, Jonathan Taves, uh, Braden Holpe came out with one a little bit earlier today. Um, you know, and there have been others who've also put their money where their mouth is. They've also donated to various organizations, various causes, um, you know, not just words, but action. Um, but, and then you see some, I'm not going to say anyone in particular, um, but then you see some and it's like, this looks like they took something that Taves wrote and a PR person said, these words are good, these words are good, these words are good. And this put it together, and it feels almost soulless. It feels very performative, um, which, you know, something is better than nothing. I think the goal here is to eventually have more players and more teams and more organizations around the sport be able to speak convincingly about some of these issues. Speak in, in words that sounds like they've actually sat down and, and really processed things as opposed to feeling, well, everyone else is saying something. I might look bad if I don't, so I'm going to put out a statement myself. Um, that's, I, I'm, that's a goal that's a little bit further down the road. I think the first step is to get some of these guys moving, <laughs> um, especially some of the white players. You know, black players really don't have – and and not just black players, Hispanic players, native players, um, they don't really have the luxury of sitting on the sidelines. You know, anytime something happens in the hockey world or even outside of the hockey world, um, any sort of instances of, of racism, it feels like every black player ends up with a microphone and a camera in front of their face asking for them to comment um, while their white teammates just kind of sit on the sidelines and, and aren't expected to participate, um, even though, you know, they're just as big a part of the sport as, as the black players are. Um, so it's it's good to finally see that engagement. It's good to finally see that interest. 
Um, we just want to keep it moving forward. I, what I don't want to see happen is a bunch of people put out statements and then, you know, eventually this kind of swell of energy will, will die down a bit. And I want to see them keep that commitment, keep that commitment going forward, especially when it's a case that's not so cut and dry as the George Floyd situation is. You know, it's easy when it's uh, some cop in Minnesota that you've never heard of and you've never met and you just watched him kill a man in broad daylight. It's a lot harder when it's a teammate of yours or a friend of yours or a coach of yours who is saying something off, off, offside, who is doing something by and treating someone differently just because of the color of their skin. It's a lot harder when you have skin in the game where you speaking up may affect your career or your endorsements or your personal relationships. So I'm just hoping that the energy that they have now, um, we can use that to, to keep the ball rolling um, going forward. Chris, I know that uh, you've talked a little bit about this too in the sense that it's, there's a lot of, beyond the kind of pro forma-ness of it, it's, uh, actions are kind of more important here than words at times. And so I, I know that in your thread, I think that was one of the things that you talked about, not just from a hockey sense, but I think from a more societal sense. So I don't know. I think I, think I would imagine you're in a similar place as Marie, but if you kind of want to expand your thoughts on this, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, I think they, I think the key takeaway from what I wanted to get across, and, and as I said, I called out a lot of people, uh, including myself, of just saying like where my biggest concern was, uh, similar to, to Marie's, uh, my biggest concern is, it's not even to be honest, it's not even like the actions right now. I know a lot of people are sort of tracking which teams are making statements, uh, which uh, sort of players are, are coming out, especially prominent uh, hockey players are prominent athletes and celebrities and so on and so forth. Um, and to me, you know, one of the things I've said to to many of my friends uh, and coworkers who have, like, reached out and asked how am I, how am I doing, uh, you know, what I've said is if you felt that, you know, racial injustice was such a toll, uh, would take such a toll on my mental well-being, that you felt, uh, you know, it necessary to check in, why is this the first time we're having this conversation? Uh, you know, it, what what do you perceive to be different about George Floyd, uh, George Floyd uh, versus, you know, Breonna Taylor or, you know, Trayvon Martin or, you know, any of the other previous incidents where so much situation happened. Why is this the one where you feel like, hey, you know, let me just see where it's going. And so I think that to me is the sort of bigger concern I have is that, you know, for many of these organizations, for these companies and institutions that are saying, well, our, you know, our eyes are open to the injustices that are happening around us. Um, you saw, you know, in Washington, uh, you know, Devontae Smith probably at a Blackhawks game, uh, you know, be harassed by by fans in the stands. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw, you know, Akeem Alou sort of crying out several times this year about the injustices he faced as a young hockey player and no one did anything. Uh, you saw, you know, Joe, uh, Joe Ward, you know, face, you know, racism, uh, you know, for scoring a uh, – uh, game seven winning goal uh, in Boston, you know, all these years ago. And so you, you, for these teams and institutions and companies, you know, and I'm just pointing out hockey teams, but there's plenty of instances across the board. You've seen these instances on a regular basis. And so either you were choosing to ignore them, you know, willingly choosing to ignore them and say, oh, you know, that's a one-off incident. That's a bad apple. Uh, this is not representative of society. Or you never took the time to engage and inform yourself 
about why this is. And so even though I am very uh, thankful and supportive of, you know, players like Patrice Bergeron, who sort of wrote a thoughtful statement and committed dollars to uh, supporting the, uh, you know, various organizations, to me, if the time where you felt it was necessary to take action is now, to me it's not necessarily too late, but it is uh, – it, it makes me very skeptical about your willingness to take future action going forward because had uh, – and I will I will put certain names to it uh, – Kendall Cohen Schofield, uh, who has now recently come out saying in support of uh, the recent actions, but, you know, a couple of years ago was very dismissive of Colin Kaepernick and his protest and stance. You know, think of someone like that or someone in those positions or people with the same mindset had a different one three or four years ago. We mm-hmm. may be having a different story. And so this is where I'm like, yes, it's great that you're sort of, you know, trying to resolve the situation now, but it's almost like, you know, you go to a forest fire, you know, a, a forest is burned down or something like that, and all the trees are destroyed, and it's like, oh, man, well, you know, we're going to have a sort of, you know, memorial for the trees, and we're going to raise money to support. It's like, well, you could have prevented this by, you know, doing all the right activities and, you know, being more conscious of climate change, uh, but it's kind of too late, you know, after the fact now. And so I just think the biggest concern I have right now is that it it, it is so fashionable to to come out with these statements, and people are sort of pocket-checking and making sure that you're doing this, um, and you're sort of being called off. You don't, but I'm like, where was this, you know, all, all this time ago? And so I think that's the biggest concern I have. And I would be, to be honest, very surprised to see if, if this energy is still around even, you know, two two weeks from now, let alone two months from now. Uh, so I, I do share a similar level of concern that, that Marie has. Yeah, um, that that makes sense. Um I, uh, Marie, I think I think you, you had a couple of more thoughts on this kind of topic, but one of the things – I know that Chris said, and Chris, I'll ask you about this in a sec. Um, you mentioned, uh, Chris, to quote you, uh, those people you ask about black things, you should also ask them about expertise in their fields. And I know, uh, I think Marie mm. expressed similar thoughts kind of in that vein. So I, I, is that kind of one of the important things to maybe help this, help you make this movement or make this moment more of a movement? Is that, is that something that we can kind of key in on as being important? I, I think so. I mean, you you don't want to have a situation where the only time people are listening to black people is when a black person has been killed or a black person has been beat or something similarly outrageous. You know, part of the fight against racism, discrimination, biases is appreciating people for who they are and not simply what they are so like for example i'm an attorney you know if the only time someone's interested in talking with me is because they want to ask me about my experiences being black it's like okay i have a billion other things that i'm interested in a billion other things that i can do we want to be able to see people and value them and their input outside of just their race so you know to, to Chris's point, you know, don't just talk to people about black people, black things, I should say, you know, talk to them about their expertise in their field. That will help us have better. Um, I don't really like the word representation, but I can't think of a better one right now <laughs> um, in certain industries, um, you know, better involvement, better engagement with a community um, and then better 
um, I guess I'll just say representation within companies. You know, we want to have, you know, the goal here is to have people valued for their contributions and valued for their talents and valued for what they can bring to the table. And it's not just the fact that they are black. And now you can say that you have a black person here. You know, we want to be seen like other people are seen as people who have a perspective, have a set of skills, and can add add value. Chris, yeah. I, I know that you're the one that tweeted it. Just uh, <laughs> kind of, like, if you want to expound upon that, that would that would be great. Sorry if I stole that from you. No, 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 no. And Marie makes some great points. And I think, like, I mean, to be perfectly honest and very frank, I probably would not have agreed to do the podcast here on Japer's Rink had we not had conversations before not related to to uh, you know race dynamics and hockey uh, and only from the standpoint uh, you know not that it's not a wonderful website and uh, Adam and I go way back uh, we played some Destiny uh, on PlayStation a few years back and stuff uh, and so but but at least the sort of recognition that you know I did not get into hockey to talk about racism and hockey or sort of things like that like I got into hockey to be an analyst and and observe the game and look at it from a mathematical standpoint and so you know just acknowledgement that that's sort of what I hang my hat on um and what I'm passionate about um you know not to say I'm not passionate about you know racial you know inequality and things like that you know I do that in my day-to-day work uh but hockey is a release for me and so uh, just saying that from the standpoint you see a lot of organizations sort of scrambling in situations like this where it's like oh, I'm going to reach out to so-and-so, you know, who's been collecting dust over the past six months, uh, you know, since the last racial thing happened, X, Y, and Z. And it, it is just very dismissive of uh, sort of the work that people put in. Uh, I have a uh, a friend and mentor who's a prominent writer for, you know, a very prestigious organization. Um, it, it spent eight years in Russia, is an expert in all things uh, Putin and all that stuff. But we joke, uh, you know, we text and joke that says, Whenever, you know, racial animus happens in, in the United States, uh, they send out the bat signal, and that's the only reason he's called on, uh, you know, like a CNN or something like that. And it's like, you know, just disrespectful of all the work he's put in uh, to sort of build his career outside of that. Um, he's, you know, very well compensated for, for what he does, and so I'm sure he's not at home crying about it. But it, it's just a it's just a recognition that, um, once again, that, you know, we are human beings and we have interests outside of this. Uh, you'll see it a lot of times on Twitter and a lot of people who critique people who bring up the racial issues in society and particularly in sports. Why is this all you talk about? Why is this all you bring up? Like, we don't want to. We just, we actually would prefer someone else to sort of take the mantle and sort of take on a bit of that burden. Uh, But we, we, we just see the silence that happens on a regular basis. And so we're sort of forced to step up. And unfortunately, at times that to some people undermines the credibility that we have you know, other areas that we're passionate about and knowledgeable about. And so I think uh, just the opportunity to sort of have our voices heard and build that credibility with audiences outside of the sort of core people who care about those issues um, is, is really important to sort of move in the discussion forward. Yeah. And uh, Chris, I know that it, particularly with you, um, you, you, you talked about this a little earlier, um, kind of if you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, kind of Kim Davis interview and all that kind of everything around that, I'm actually – wasn't familiar with that story. Can you kind of talk about that a little more? Kind of talk about let's let's like maybe for for a bit talk about something that's not just like purely race and hockey. Talk about some of your expertise in this area. So if you kind of want to expound upon that, that would be great. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so just to give some give some background, you know, I don't want to uh, get too inside baseball and have the utmost respect for for Kim and her team. And you know, it's been a difficult year for them even before all of this uh, uh, sort of went down. Just because I know they had a lot of they had a lot of plans in terms of what they wanted to do and sort of creating the best uh, image of the NHL. Um, and it, uh, unfortunately, spent a lot of time playing defense with like the Bill Peters allegations and and all that and. Coach is being fired, and it's like, oh, was it because he was a racist or just because he was bad at his job or, you know, whatever other mitigating circumstances? Um, but, yeah, you know, I uh, there was a position last year with the NHL that uh, I was interested in, um, sort of aligned with uh, some of the work I had done previously. Uh, as I said, I worked in uh, diversity roles at, you know, several large tech companies um, in addition to my day-to-day roles um, and actually left to, to run a startup uh, focused on diversity and uh, tech. Um, and, and data. And so, you know, just something that was a lived-in experience. And so uh, getting uh, a inside look in terms of how the sausage was made, talking with several members of NHL's uh, leadership and, uh, and talking with their C-suite and understanding what their plans and goals were um, was interesting because not only, you know, from a sports perspective, it allowed me to see sort of how, in particular, hockey as a very monolithic, uh, uh, homogenous uh you know, mostly white sport, uh, sort of think about how they think about their diversity, but sort of how that probably permeates into, you know, government and, you know, society and, and media and entertainment and all these other areas. Um, you know, it's just a very interesting experience. And so, you know, I could only, you know, presume uh, it, Kim had a conversation today on, uh, as I said, another podcast, I was talking about that, you know, they're asking her questions. But going back to that point, I was like, uh, you know, the host of 31 Thoughts were saying, oh, yeah, we've been wanting to have Ken Davis on for months. Well, you know, we now we found a perfect opportunity. It's like, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure she would have loved to talk about all the great things that her uh, team is doing and how they're working with Gary Batman to sort of, you know, build upon all the successes they've had over the past couple of years and talk about that. But, no, we wait till this opportunity where, you know, the world is going to shit. Sorry. All right. We're going to heck. No, uh, you're fine. You're fine. It's <laughs> yeah. uh, well, not a problem. Yeah. Anything that's free, actually, for me. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we wait till the world is going to heck to bring her on. And it's like, well, that's very dismissive of just all the work that I know she's putting in. Like, I, I was very impressed in terms of talking to her. I'm not just saying this because I met her. I'm actually very critical of many people uh, in, a, in NHL headquarters. Uh, but... Uh, that to me is just like a perfect encapsulation. So I think like just seeing that and understanding sort of where hockey wants to go, um, and, and I'm sure Kim, uh, as she sort of alluded to, was like, you know, these were the conversations we were trying to have with teams before all of this happened so they can be a little bit more proactive with it. Uh, and now they are reacting to it, you know, either through their own initiative or through being pressured by their fans. Um, this is uh, it's just an interesting uh, perspective to have. And so, uh, you know, I learned a lot about that experience. Uh, you know, it was very uh, intriguing and, and uh, you know, I really uh, have a lot of respect for all the stuff that Kim Davis has done and the people who sort of support her. But it's still, uh, you know, definitely a work in progress across the board. Yeah. So, Marie, there was something that Chris said that I want to ask you about, which mm-hmm. is um, – he meant, Chris, you just mentioned kind of the hockey being a homogenous sport. And I think you have a really interesting perspective as kind of more of the outsider fan perspective. How much do you notice as just a hockey fan how kind of homogenous it is? I mean, you can't not notice it. Um, you know, like I said, when I first became a Caps fan, I was a, I think, sophomore at Howard University. 
Um, I didn't know anybody who watched hockey. Um, I used to go down to when they still call it the Verizon Center all the time to see the Wizards games, and I would see, you know, different signs and stuff, pictures and stuff at the arena for the hockey team. But I, when I grew up, I didn't know anybody who liked hockey. Um, I didn't know anybody who played hockey. I'd never seen a hockey game. The only hockey player I'd ever heard of was Wayne Gretzky, and I had no idea what he looked like. Um, And then you kind of find yourself watching a sport, and you walk into an arena, and you're like, whoa. I mean, especially coming from Howard University, like that, it it almost blew blew me away. Um, But thankfully, you know, I'm the kind of person I – I've never been one to – like go into a situation and see that there aren't a lot of people who look like me and have that deter me from getting involved if it's something I'm really interested in. Um, so, you know, you just, you, you keep going and you kind of carve a, a, a way for yourself. Um, and then, you know, the longer you, you get involved in the sport, you know, unlike Chris, I'm not a analyst. I don't look at things from a mathematical perspective, which is actually how, um, we first connected on Twitter because all I would see from him is Braden Holpe slander. And I'd be like, oh, <laughs> um, I'm more of a just run your mouth kind of fan. Um, so, you know, you, you just talk about various issues and then you would, you just, you keep seeing different incidents happen, um, you know, towards black players, Hispanic players, uh, Native American and First Nation players, you know, over and over and over again in hockey. And it's just like, who is, who's stepping up here? You know, especially down at the the youth level. It's like, who is, you know, I know I'm not the only one seeing this, um, but then you never see, uh, well, it's just not saying never now, because there's so many people doing it, um, I guess this past week, but you would never see any white players really step up there. Um, and, and coming from a background where, you know, I watched a lot of NBA growing up, a a lot of college basketball, the idea of a player like Bradley Beal or John Wall, just to take some, some players here in the district, you know, the idea of them saying something, of of course they would, you know, they do all the time and without thinking about it, they don't send it to a PR person. They just hop on Twitter or Instagram and fire something off. But then you go to the hockey side, and it's just like, man, it's you almost think, you know, do they care? Like, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, so it's it's something you can't really miss. Um, thankfully, I haven't had too many issues at, like, in person. I know people who have. Um, but, you know, you go to a game, you watch a game, or you just, you know, discuss the sport on various online channels, and and you're almost constantly aware of the fact that there's really not many, many black people around. Yeah. And uh, Chris, I mean, I I think that makes a lot of sense. How much do you think it's kind of a traditional hockey culture Mm -hmm. thing or how much do you think of it is kind of a, just the lack of maybe certain kind of key diversity that hockey has maybe compared to other sports? Yeah. I think think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, uh, you know, to, to Marie's point, uh, you know, I went to a better HBCU, historically black college, uh, at Morehouse. Uh, oh, no, sir. Sure. <laughs> that's a different discussion for a different day. We, uh, you know, that's, that, that's a keep it inside the family discussion. But, uh, but, but, uh, but no, it was the same thing. I, I got introduced to hockey. You know, I 
you know, played a couple of video games. I was actually, my introduction to hockey, I was playing the video games on a PlayStation 1 demo disc, and I, you know, saw uh, hockey on SportsCenter, but uh, in terms of, you know, being introduced to anyone who knew a, a anything about hockey, uh, you know, I didn't have my first real conversation with anyone else about hockey, like, in person until I was, like, 26, uh, just because I didn't know anybody growing up that watched the sport. And one of the reasons for that is, you know, a combination of, one, in Chicago in particular where I grew up, you know, uh, for people that know at the time, the, the games weren't televised because our cheapskate owner, uh, Dollar Bill Works, thought if the games weren't sold out, it wasn't worth putting on TV. Uh, so, uh, yeah. uh, and, and so from a, from a just an economics perspective, well, if I can't afford to go to the games and I can't afford to watch the sport and therefore I can't afford to be a fan like that, it is just not a very welcoming environment. And then when you think about the opportunities, like, you know, where do I have those conversations? Do I just go into a bar and just like strike up a conversation with, you know, someone at random and just say, hey, you know, how about that? You know, Michael Hansus or whatever. Like, you know, just, uh, <laughs> it, it just wasn't something. It, it, the, the avenues just weren't available. And and so because that's, you know, just the overall culture around the sport where it's like if you're not in, if you don't know the password, you don't know the first rule of Fight Club and you're not allowed in, like that. that's part, part of it. And then the second part is just, you know, as you said, that sort of insular culture of uh, the sport of hockey in general where you know, the players are not evangelizing about the sport and, you know, you're not seeing them on, like, a national TV uh, campaign or, you know, sort of, you know, creating a social media following on their things, uh, their exploits off the ice. And so that just makes it harder for, you know, the casual fan or someone who is not as familiar with the sport and did not grow up on it uh, to to sort of uh, interject themselves. And so I think that permeates until, you know, like a lot of the responses you see today where, Maybe because players are outside of the locker room and don't feel, you know, that they have to worry about being judged by their peers or mm-hmm. taking a stand or something like that, that they feel more comfortable to stand out. But, um, you know, it's just very interesting to see that, like, so many people are saying, well, you know, due to my background and exposure, I didn't have a lot of black friends growing up and didn't have a lot of black players on my team. And the ones that did were trying so hard to fit in that I actually didn't see how hard, how hard we made it to actually do so. Um, uh, and as a result, I just assumed that because they were trying so hard to fit in that their, you know, my problems and my experiences were theirs and actually was not the case. And so I think that's been a lot of the reason why so many players are like, oh, crap, I had no idea that this was happening. And so I think, you know, hopefully we will see that with this opportunity to sort of look inward and, uh, and really examine how hockey culture has sort of put on blinders to a lot of players and organizations. Uh, that have been removed over the past, you know, a couple of weeks. You know, maybe we'll see that sea change, but as I said, it remains to be seen. Yeah, Maria, I want to I want to ask you about Braden Holpe. Um, <laughs> he, uh, Braden Holpe. I know you guys disagree on a little bit, but um, <laughs> I know that he is someone that I think, as a Washington Capitals fan, and I guess I'm going to admit this for the first time in the show. Whatever, let's get it over with. As a as a uh, queer American, um, wow, there you go, it's out there. Um, I. Uh, I think I've I've kind of grown to appreciate Hopi's uncommon willingness and maybe also Brett Connolly too and, and obviously Devontae the solid Joel Ward, but Brayden Hopi came out with a statement uh, today and I think he's someone that's really kind of been active maybe not so much in various like racial communities, but at least in terms of various social issues. I, like first off do you think that Hopi's kind of willingness to engage in things outside of pure hockey has kind of helped 
maybe helped inform that statement a little bit today? And two, kind of what does that mean to have someone that's a little more active in the community, is a little more cognizant of those kind of social social and cultural issues? Um, I, I To take the first part, I definitely think it does. Um, you know, he, he we all know he works very closely with various um, LGBT organizations. Um, and I think working with other oppressed minorities, it gives him more of a perspective. He's, he's kind of already learned the skills um, to, I'd say empathize. He's already learned to kind of put himself in somebody else's shoes and understand what it may be to live life in this country as someone who is treated differently because of who they are. Um, so, I, so I think that informs uh, his background, and I think that's why it's easy for him to kind of um, slide into a, a different avenue and have it be believable and have it be uh, genuine. Um, so, so I, I think that helps. And then for the second part, like, you know, what does it mean to have a player like him on the team? Um, I think it's great. You know, he's, I, like I said, I'm the kind of fan. I don't really look at the numbers, to be honest. I, I don't care. <laughs> I'm more concerned. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> value, like, which players I like. Like, if it's like, if I like this player, I like this player. And, yeah. and so for me, my, me being a fan of Hopi, you know, yeah, he's a he's a good goaltender most of the time, sometimes. But um, more importantly, he's he's a likable person. So if I I'm if I feel like I'm investing energy in someone, I want them to be a good person. You know, it's it's hard for me to be rah rah cheer for somebody who I fundamentally think is bad. Um. But I that hope he doesn't strike me as as that kind of person. So the fact that he's been so involved in the community, he's been vocal um, as a as a straight man, as a white man in this country, um, even though he's from Canada, that he's put himself out there in ways that a lot of his peers simply failed to. Um, I, I think that's huge. You know, he's been walking the walk for uh, a number of years now um so I, I was i was very happy to see his his statement today to be honest i didn't expect it um because i know he does not actually use his twitter oh <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so i think he hasn't tweeted in like three years or something um so but it, it was good to see you know i i have a lot of respect for him um both as a player and as a person um, and I know that a lot of fans really are drawn to him and by extension to the Washington Capitals because of the work that he's done, because of things he said, um, because it makes them feel like maybe there's at least one person who values me as a human being. Because um, when you don't see people standing up for you, when you're going through obvious problems, obvious trauma, obvious oppression, it makes you feel like these people don't care about me as a person. You know, I'm a fan who gives money and cheers for the team, but if I needed someone to theoretically come to my rescue, they're not going to be there. 
Um, and so I think it makes people feel more comfortable. I think he's been a huge asset to the team in that way. Um, I kind of have my own issues with some of the things that the Capitals do themselves when it comes to, um, you know, their, like, black history celebrations and their Pride Night. Um, but I think Holby's kind of been setting the tone there, and I, I hope he continues to do that going forward. Now, who knows what team he may do that with going forward. <laughs> that is a much trickier question. <laughs> yeah. I know where I want him to be, but, <laughs> but um, I'm sure wherever he ends up, uh, he will continue doing that. Um, and to be honest, that's one of the – the things that concern me most with his, you know, I'm not going to get into a huge discussion about his contract situation, but that's one of the things that I think would be the biggest loss if he if he left um, is his engagement with the community because I there's not another player on the roster who's kind of done what he's done, especially in the position that he is. He is a high profile player, um, and I think that would be a big a big loss to a lot of fans um, if he were to move on and, and kind of take his uh, talents elsewhere. Um, okay, so Chris, um, my question, I will admit uh, on my notes, I have a question here that says, why did the Islanders? So the Islanders released a statement that says, uh, I, I quote, uh, we condemn racism and injustice and stand with all affected by senseless violence. We right. must come together treating each other with respect, empathy, and dignity. They then echo the NHL statement and then say, to the brave officers who go to work every day seeking the human being and not the color of one's skin, we thank you for protecting us. Now, um, I guess I'll repeat my question. Why did the Islanders <laughs> <question>? <laughs> So I, I, yeah, I mean it, it's a it's a it's a franchise. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you know they they I believe they were the ones that were sold to like a guy that had like no money. Um, and, yep. and all that. And, yeah. So it's it's a franchise. Uh, you know I will say as a recent New York transplant, um, and uh, as a person who has made you know several unintended trips to to Long Island, uh, my understanding of the Islanders and their particular fan base uh, in particular is that, for example, a lot of the police officers, as I understand, that work in New York City also reside in Long Island. Um, I believe earlier today, um, I forget exactly what the name of the city was. It was, uh, 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 it starts with M, Merrill or something like that, um, that, you know, restricted access for peaceful protesters to, like, go down the streets. They were, like, very skeptical of, like, the importance of the issues at hand and all that stuff. And so, uh, I think it was a combination of sort of pandering to the fan base. Um, and as I've said several times, even before the events of the recent week, um, where a situation like this happened, uh, most recently with uh, Keandre Miller's uh, Zoom uh, fiasco that uh, that happened, uh, a lot of these organizations just clearly don't have anyone who has lived these experiences or knows how to properly handle these situations. And on their payroll to be able to tell them how to, like, properly respond. Like, yes, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I am the uh, – both of my grandfathers work for the Chicago uh, Police Department in, in varying capacities. Uh, you know, I uh, – probably a little bit less left to center, uh, center than most people would, would like. You know, I understand that the police play some role uh, in terms of uh, – 
you know, creating a beneficial society. What role they play and sort of where they stand in, uh, that is to be determined. I think, uh, you know, the recent events show that, uh, unfortunately, uh, the police are sort of a stand-in for a lot of the other failures and inequities in society. They are like the, the stopgap solution that is clearly not equipped to handle the things that they are uh, sort of being pressed into duty to doing. And so when you make a statement like that saying, hey, this really bad thing happened, uh, as a result of overreach uh, on this particular organization. But uh, with that being said, you know, thank you, the organization. We we support you regardless. You know, you know, go get them next time, Tiger. I mean, that's it. Like. And so uh, I, I think a lot of these organizations, you know, we've seen many, many, you know, police appreciation nights and stuff like that, which, you know, in theory is fine, but then you have to throw a Blue Lives Matter flag on uh, the sort of, you know, uh, add icing on the cake. You know, it's just like, Clearly, no one has thought through this and thought through the consequences of this, or people just don't care. Like, uh, uh, you know, it's either incompetence or, or, or negligence. And so it's just a, <laughs> yes, why the Islander is a, is a sort of running theme uh, with both on the ice and off the ice. And so very disappointing, but not surprising to say the least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, uh, Marie, yeah. Did, you, did you have any thoughts with, with, uh, when you saw that statement? <laughs> Yeah, just to echo what Chris said, I I was in no way surprised um, having, you know, I recently moved out of the New York area myself, um, and I'd only been out on the island a couple of times, (laughs) Um, but knowing what I know about kind of that area, I'm not surprised. Um, I actually have a friend, uh, she's also a fellow um, Caps fan, black woman, and she has had a number of bad experiences with Islanders fans out on the island um so I wasn't shocked uh I think it like Chris says it goes it goes back to his point about not only speaking to black people about black things because if the Islanders as an organization or really any team as an organization had meaningfully invested in having black employees in various um, positions, then there would have been somebody who caught that, who said, you know, this is a bad idea. You know, there are, I've seen other teams come out with statements that are pretty bland. Um, just to get off of hockey for a second, I'm a Nationals fan too. Their statement oh, yeah, that, that they put out was, was just, just two thumbs all the way down. Yes. <laughs> but at the very least, they didn't try to play both sides of the field. They just played no position as opposed to both positions. And I think if you're going to mess up, just just don't say anything. Say something, but don't say anything as opposed to saying something and just getting it all wrong. Um, so, I, And I think there was another team who did that. I'm trying to remember who it was. It may have been somebody in the Western Conference who came out with a similar statement of um, – the mur- you know, the blues, right? Yeah. Yes. yes blues. Was, yeah. Which also did not surprise me. Um, so, you know, I, I think teams need to be a bit smarter. Organizations in general need to be a bit smarter. If you're going to come out with a statement, um, you need to involve people who will catch something like that. Now, I don't know if, if they did and that person was, you know, vetoed and they said, we're going to put this out anyway. Um, but that was a unforced error, and it's like there's, it's hard to get wrong. Even if you don't say much, it's hard to get wrong 
and so it feels like they deliberately got it wrong. Um, but then the Islanders are just a mess. So, <laughs> but, but, but quickly, quickly on that, uh, and Marie said something that reminded me of this, and it's a undisputable fact uh, at, at this point is that unfortunately, the people who are probably most adamant about the Islanders getting this right are in general probably not the core hockey fan, uh, or or, mm-hmm. or represent a probably equal proportion of people to the people on the other side of the conversation who would, you know, be up in arms about uh, the Islanders' unwillingness to support, you know, our police uh, police officers and our troops. And, and, and so this is, going back to our earlier point, this is the sort of, you know, put your feet to the fire moment for organizations like this. You know, obviously the Islanders have already sort of let us know where they stand. But when this sort of blows over, uh, you know, maybe it won't, and, you know, hopefully we can see some lasting change from this, but more than likely there will be a period after this where uh, teams will have a similar situation. A team may win a Stanley Cup and go to the White House, and, you know, depending on who's in office, oh. you know, they, there's going to be a sort of uh, a, a trial moment for a team or organization where there are fans who may not represent necessarily the views that are being espoused here today, um, you know, when it comes to dollars and cents, will they change their tune as a result or will they sort of keep the same energy that they have right now? This is what I am in particular most curious about uh, long term. They say like, hey, it was fine to do what everybody else is doing it, but are you willing to take that unpopular stand when no one else is willing to sort of back be on your corner? Are you willing to do the right thing, even if the right thing may cost you dollars in the long run? Yeah, I mean, and that goes back to um, – a, a point that I made earlier about some of, of these statements coming off is very performative because if a team like the Islanders and the Blues aren't willing to kind of be all in here, it's like, who are they making this statement for? Like, you're, who, are, who do you think is going to be happy with this statement? You know, if you're putting out a statement basically catering to the demographics of your fan base, what's the point of kind of going through the motions and pretending that you're you're interested in in doing some work here it's it that's why I'm saying this like I don't feel that a team like the Blues or the Islanders wanted to say anything at all I think under any other circumstances they would have just kept quiet but they felt compelled because they saw everybody else doing it so that's like I said maybe it's the cynic in me but it's just like who are these statements for what is your objective here? I know, you know, I've said many things in the past about getting teams and players involved in things, but we don't just want them to say something. We want them to say something meaningful. And there was nothing meaningful about, you know, some of these things that came out. Yeah. Um, I guess, Chris, to kind of conclude this, um, you mentioned do the right thing as you, you you were kind of hoping that NHL teams would kind of maybe it was kind of the question I asked earlier, but to kind of wrap up a little bit, what would you say if in six months, what would be a result that you would be kind of happy with seeing more teams move in? Like what if we're six months out and you're feeling that the protests around George Floyd and all of this, uh, have kind of led to a positive result. What would that look like? Yeah, no, I mean, this question I've been asked a couple of times today, both uh, both here uh, and, and in real life, in terms of what 
what is the right response. And so I think, you know, sort of as we talked about a little bit earlier, um, a lot of this is, you know, as I said in my tweet storm yesterday, a lot of this is reactionary, you know, it's sort of waiting until a, a moment where there's no question about sort of what the right response is um, and, and then sort of taking action after you sort of see where, where the winds are shifting, where the fans are going, where the fan response is. Uh, and so I think one is, uh, uh, to Marie's exact point, you know, for a team like the Islanders not to make a similar uh, snafu going forward is investing in not only, um, you know, talent and, and, and resources in their organization that allows them to sort of really understand what's going on, to make outreach into the community, um, to sort of just diversify their front offices and, you know, their business organizations uh, to better understand the communities that they're serving um, and, and that they represent, uh, but also sort of taking the proactive stance of not just waiting until an unfortunate incident happens to sort of bring these issues to the forefront, you know, having a recurring dialogue, you know, putting your players out there and encouraging them to speak out um, for things that they believe in. Uh, will every fan agree with them? No, I'm sure fans will, uh, our players will step out for stances that I don't even believe in or I, I don't necessarily support. But I think that to me is a much more viable way for these organizations to sort of get out in front of this, uh, you know, really understand what's going on, hear more from their fans, hear more from their players, um, really create those community connections that allow them to see, like, if you're a St. Louis Blues uh, team member or if you're, you know, in uh, a Minnesota Wild organization and something like this happens, you're not caught off guard by what your response should be. And I think that is basically – the thing that I wish organizations did more, they're investing more long-term into those particular things. I've even said, uh, one of the conversations I had with Ken Davis was, you know, how do we get more superstars of color in hockey on the ice? Well, you can't just, like, I'm going to draft, you know, a random player of color and just hope that he is good. No, you have to invest in those particular resources and programs over time that make it encouraging for those players to not pick a different sport or not feel that hockey is not for them. You know, we talk a lot about hockey's for everyone, but if the only time we talk about hockey's for everyone is during a hockey is for everyone month, then it's actually not doing what it's supposed to do. And so I think taking that proactive approach, investing more in terms of long-term growth and development uh, in terms of that fan and community relationship um, and really, like, making the investments to have that conversation outside of these sort of crisis moments, uh, I think next time, we, if this ever happens again, I hope it doesn't, but we, we have to be honest that it likely will, that the responses will not be so reactionary, so sort of giant come lately, um, and we'll see just a, a better sort of uh, response across the board. Yeah. Uh, Marie, same, same question to you. Uh, I, I know that you've uh, in the past expressed, I think, pretty justified frustrations with maybe some of the way the Capitals have handled some of the various uh, outreach events, but you know, I think there's also been obviously a couple of positive things that have come out of mm-hmm. Capitals organization. What would you say again is kind of we're six months out and you, and there's something maybe a little more positive than we would have expected. What does that look like? To be honest, I think the 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 best things that may come out of it may be things that the fans never see. Um, I think what I'm hoping for is that. This compels teams, you know, as a business organization to really re-examine their practices, re-examine their culture, and see where there are places that they may be able to make improvements. Um, 
whether that's how they allocate any funds that uh, go out to community youth hockey programs, whether that's how they train um, or hire uh, various employees, kind of things like that to have, you know, these issues at the forefront of their minds while they're making various decisions. Now, you know, I'm a business person. I was a finance major. Like, I, I get it. You know, the end goal here is, is making money. You know, these aren't charities. This isn't church league. You know, social justice is not, you know, the thing that pays the bills. However, even from a business standpoint, I think there is a huge untapped market that the NHL kind of cuts itself off from because it's positioned itself as this kind of white Canadian um, culture that um, a lot of fans who don't come from that particular background simply do not connect to. Um, and I think if the league um, wants to tap into those fan markets more effectively, then they need to kind of have a, a genuine sit down and say, how can we position ourselves as a sport to appeal to people outside of the demographic that most of our fans come from, you know, without necessarily, you know, it's not like I'm saying, well, stop having white fans and go get all the black people, but how can you widen the tent a bit? Um, and, and so I th I'm hoping that this kind of drives that conversation. You know, I would love to be able to have conversations about hockey with some of my um, friends who aren't white. But frankly, you know, it's, that's difficult to do because it's just it's completely outside of their cultural sphere. They, they couldn't even BS their way through, through that kind of talk. Um, so I think there's an opportunity here just, you know, going back to my strictly business background, there's an opportunity here that the league, if it's smart, um, will take advantage of. But, you know, if this is the NHL we're talking about. It wouldn't be the first time they let a good opportunity pass. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping that this at the very least, you know, prompts people to just start having better conversations. And like I said, that may be something that we as fans may not see. That may be a cultural change that happens over time that we don't, you know, really see big dividends of until 10, 15, 20 years down the road. But, you know, I still intend on being alive 10, 15, 20 years down the road, and I would like to be able to look back and say, you know, this was really the catalyst for the NHL making changes. And not just the NHL, you know, youth hockey programs, the AHL, um, you know, various hockey at various levels um, kind of change the culture a bit so that, you know, you don't have to worry about – I have a five-year-old nephew. He's expressed interest in playing hockey because he hears auntie talk about it. But his mom is afraid to put him in the sport because she hears all these bad things about, you know, little black kids being taunted and teased and abused. And it's difficult for her to voluntarily put her son in that kind of environment. I wanted to get to a point where a parent doesn't have to think, do I want my child playing this sport? Do I want him to have to suffer through racism just to get a little exercise? Um, that, to me, would be the best outcome from this. We may not see that for a long time, but I'm hoping that this could be the spark. Yeah, I agree. Um all right. Well, guys, this was, uh, team, this was an incredible conversation. I'm, uh, 
Marie, thank you so much for coming on. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Marie, where can people find uh, your various musings on things? Well, um, I, I talk a lot of crap on Twitter. Um, my username is cowgirl underscore bebop. Uh, that reflects my big anime passion there. Cowboy bebop. Right. Best, yeah. anime ever, best anime ever aired. Um, but I will warn you ahead of time, I talk about everything. So if you're just coming from for hockey takes, you're going to get more than you bargain for. Um, I'm also a huge K-pop fan, so do not be surprised if you see some um, young Korean men go across your screen. But if you want to talk to me, that is where you'll find me. Great, great. And uh, Chris, where can people find your stuff? Yeah, uh, same thing. I'm probably even worse than Marie. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I try to, try to find the most uh, odious uh, uh, version of a point and, and try to drill it into the ground. Um, uh, but I, I can be found at Yolo Pinato, uh, Yolo underscore Pinato, P I N Y Y A T O uh, on Twitter. I also just want to quickly uh, illustrate, uh, uh, just to put a bow on it. Um, you know, for the fans listening to this, uh, Jeffrey Sprink, I know you all, you all are a great uh, set of readers and listeners and all that stuff. Um, take the opportunity to really educate yourself, not only about these issues uh, in the black community, um, the Latinx community, uh, LGBTQIA uh, plus communities. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on, and I think the players themselves really have an opportunity um, to sort of make this, like, I guess, more cool and more common, uh, particularly for the hockey uh, fan base. Um, by educating themselves and sort of sharing their thoughts and uh, and sort of learning more about what's going on in the world. And I think uh, for everybody, including myself, you know, I've learned a lot in the past few weeks uh, as well. And so I think this is really, um, you know, thank you once again for for having us on. I think this is really just a great opportunity for us to learn and talk to each other and really sort of uh, uh, tear back those uh, barriers that uh, really keep us from understanding and learning more about each other. Um, mm-hmm. Because when hockey does come back, inevitably, my hope is that we, we can come together as fans and all that. And when I troll your team, uh, know that it's out of love and, and, and the utmost respect and not, not any animus. But uh, <laughs> really, really thankful really thankful for the opportunity to come on today. Yeah, no, I, I look forward to the point, to the time where we can uh, just have some arguments about Braden Holtby. Because uh, <laughs> I know they're coming. And uh, Resign Braden Holtby. <laughs> Wait, I, I, I will probably, uh, Marie has made some eloquent points, so I may be nicer to him uh, this resume season when it comes back. Uh, it may hold off until next season uh, when the statute <laughs> is passed. But, but yes, uh, I agree. Yeah, all right, well, uh I normally would say thank you for listening and all of that uh, to the podcast, but I I think self-promotion at this point doesn't seem (laughs) super important. But uh, I want to echo what Chris said. Uh, I think it's the Capitals community and hockey community is, I think, much more vibrant when we talk about things that are both hockey adjacent and also not hockey adjacent. I think it's important to have a plethora of hobbies and interests. And I think educating yourself, obviously, about this isn't something that you – that anyone needs a random white person in Ohio to tell them. But uh, I guess people, like, it, it's it's important no matter what. So uh, I just want to thank both of uh, Chris and Marie for coming on today, and uh, thank you for listening.